Well, well, well. Here we go. Here we go. I have so much, so much. Uh, I just like to announce right now we're not getting out till 12:30 today. Uh, not really, but I have my Bible open and I want to just read this uh, without comment at this point which will be most remarkable if I can actually do that. But I have my Bible open to Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 13, and I'm going to continue reading into chapter 4. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. One comment. Imagine the audacity of the devil who fully well knew who Jesus was to tempt him. Imagine it. Should we be surprised at all? if we have to deal with the temptations of the devil. Not at all. Well, part six. Two dark valleys. If you'll notice on your sheet, and you have a couple blanks to fill in, and then I give you the rest of class off from filling in blanks, but there are a couple to fill in at the beginning, and you see a book has appeared on the screen written by John Bunyan, John Bunyan wrote another long allegory, not as famous as Pilgrim's Progress. It is about a war and called, there's the title in big red letters, The Holy War. 
the holy war. Now, there is a subtitle here, and I don't know whether all of you are able to see this well enough, but I'll read it to you, and I'll spell a couple things so you can fill in the blanks. But here it is more fully. The holy war made by Shaddai, S-H-A-D-D-A-I, Shaddai, upon Diabolos, D-I-A-B-O-L-U-S, I'll spell that again, D-I-A-B-O-L-U-S, made upon Diabolos for the regaining of the metropolis of the world or the losing and taking again of the city of Mansoul. Now, that's not on the screen here. It could be for that, but let me spell that for you. Capital M-A-N-S-O-U-L. The two words, man and soul, pushed together into one word. Everybody have that? Everybody with me so far? Okay. Note, note, the devil is the enemy of man's soul. The devil is the enemy of man's soul. So in in the brilliance. Now, did anybody who just came in uh, still need a sheet? Or are we all good? We all good to go? Tommy, you got a sheet? Oh, we've got good folks here. All right. So I want to remark for just a little bit, and there's so much that we could say. We could do a whole series on this particular subject that I want to just say some introductory words about, and that is about the devil. <clears throat> Note the names and descriptions of him that are given in Scripture. Look at the paragraph in your notes. In Scripture, Satan is called the enemy, the tempter, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren, a liar and the father of lies, the God of this world, the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, an angel of light, a roaring lion seeking prey, the great dragon and that old serpent. Now, put scripture references for all those. Trust me, what a variety of descriptive terms for the devil. Let me make just a couple other statements here. Number one, Satan is a created being. That is, he is not eternal. What a mistake it is for people to put Satan and God on the same level and they are just warring like two wrestlers in the ring. No, no. Far from equal. Number two, Satan is a powerful being, but he is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. God is omnipotent. Satan, although very powerful, and it's a big mistake to underplay Satan's capabilities, he is not omnipotent. A third thing. Satan is a very active being. Satan is a very active being. 
Can you think of the description at the beginning of the book of Job? Satan says, been going walking back and forth throughout the earth and all that kind of stuff. Satan is a very active being, but he is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He can't. Now, I had already typed this up when I got one more brilliant thought. So you'll have to write this in without the help of blanks. You can make this number four. And it is this. Satan is real, comma, not to be ignored. Not to, not to be ignored. Satan is real, not to be ignored. We make a terrible mistake when... We ignore Satan and his schemes and his wiles. Well, <clears throat> I'm ready to move on. A quick transition. Christian has just enjoyed a delightful place. Delightful company, delightful food and rest, and preparation for the journey ahead. And the picture that just come up on the screen is the picture of almost the last thing that happened when Christian was for several days in the Palace Beautiful. I just love that, that chapter, that section in the book. What a delightful visit that is. And the last thing that happens is that Christian is taken to the armory and he is given a full set of armor to prepare him for the journey ahead. What a quick transition it is to have to read only a few more words until we come to the conflict between Christian and Apollyon. It's not several pages. It's not Christian has the opportunity to walk a long distance on his journey before this comes up. It is, <clears throat> it is virtually the next thing that comes up, and it doesn't take us many words to come to it. So, let's go there. <clears throat> now, just look at the screen. Don't, you don't have to write a thing now. Let me just list some things here, and then we're going to go on and say more about each of these things. And this is just one of several images from the various illustrated editions of Pilgrim's Progress. But I liked, I liked this one very much. This, this is serious conflict. Christian had gone but a little way. The destroyer, Satan is the way he's referred to, with the name Apollyon. Christian's first instinct was to run. The battle of words occurred before the actual physical battle. And then, and I love these words, these are archaic words, you'll notice, but I love them, they stick in my mind here. The author says, the dreadfulest fight that ever I saw. This was no small skirmish. This went on for a long time. And finally, Christian was about to be done in by God. So let's take a little bit more time in looking at each of these things. And let me check my watch here, which has been reset.
last night. I got up at 2 in the morning and reset it. Yeah. No, I didn't. Neither did you. <laughs> you didn't do that either, did you? No. Wow. <clears throat> Let me just read a little bit as we, as we look at this more fully. But now in this valley of humiliation, poor Christian was hard put to it. For he had gone <clears throat> but a little way before he espied a foul fiend coming over the field to meet him. His name was Apollyon. He did Christian begin to be, then did Christian begin to be afraid and to cast in his mind whether to go back or to stand his ground. But he considered again that he had no armor for his back and therefore thought that to turn the back to him might give him greater advantage with ease to pierce him with his darts. Therefore he resolved to venture and stand his ground. For, thought he, had I no more in mine eye than the saving of my life, it would be the best way to stand. So he went on, and Apollyon met him. Now the monster was hideous to behold. He was clothed with scales like a fish, and they are his pride. He had wings like a dragon, feet like a bear, and out of his belly came fire and smoke, and his mouth was the mouth of a lion. When he was come up to Christian, he beheld him with a disdainful countenance, and thus began to question him. All right, let's see what I have said on this screen here. Where do you come from? Where do you come from? You know, so many times in the story, I don't know whether you've noticed it or not, when a new character comes in, there seems to be an initial brief question and answer. Where did you come from? Where are you going? And all that. And that will sort of form the introduction into what we're talking about. And that was the first thing that Empollyon said. Whence come you and whither are you bound? So, let me see in our notes here where we are. The monster, Apollyon. Okay, let's look at that little paragraph here. His name, Apollyon, and then in parenthesis I put the Greek word, which is what Apollyon is, a transliteration of that Greek word. That Greek word means destroyer. His name leaves no doubt that the monster represents Satan. And the word Satan means adversary, one who stands against. And the devil, the devil means, diabolos means, a slanderer. The description of this hideous creature has elements of a dragon, a bear, a lion. Uh, the full description uh, I read just a moment ago, right here. Christian's first instinct was to run, but because there was no armor for his back, he resolved to stand his ground. May I be so bold <clears throat> this morning? Now, Spurgeon, I, I certainly don't put myself in the category of Spurgeon, but remember, Spurgeon was so bold as to say he loves John Bunyan probably more than anybody else, but he disagreed with where Spurgeon did something in the beginning and it pertained to uh, evangelists and so on. Well, dare I say here that I have a little bit of a disagreement with Bunyan here because I think Bunyan misunderstood what is meant by the breastplate. When we are given the whole armor of God, and one of the pieces of the whole armor of God is the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate didn't just cover the front. The breastplate covered the back too. It was in two pieces that were buckled together. 
So your whole torso is protected by that. Now, I can't say that I have extensively read in William Gurnall's The Christian's Complete Armor, which is the epitome, a book about that thick, and I think John Bunyan knew William Gurnall and all, but I don't know if Gurnall you know, left the back open also, but my opinion is, now, could I be wrong here? Of course I could. <laughs> but anyhow, the thinking, the thinking here in Bunyan's mind, and thus in Christian's mind, is if I turn my back, I'm vulnerable because there's no armor to cover my back. All right, having gotten that off of my chest, <clears throat> let's continue. So, reading here more fully, you have a chart in your notes, and this chart, uh, which will be at the bottom of this page and continued on to the next page, will really, in very brief fashion, give you what Apollyon said and how Christian responded, and I've called this the battle of words. So the first part is Apollyon's question. Where do you come from and where are you going? Christian responded, from the city of destruction. And he's going to the city of Zion. Now, at this point, at this point, uh, Apollyon says this, by this I perceive thou art one of my subjects, for all that country is mine, and I am the prince and God of it. How is it then that thou must run away from thy king? Now he means himself, of course. Were it not that I hope thou mayest do me more service, I would strike thee now at one blow to the ground. Christian's response. I was born indeed in your dominions, but your service was hard and your wages such as a man could not live on, for the wages of sin is death. Therefore, when I was come to years, that is, when he was mature enough to think clearly about these things, I did, as other considerate persons do, look out if perhaps I might mend myself. You're one of my subjects, says Apollyon. And Christian says, your service was hard and your wages were poor. And then Bunyan inserts the words, the wages of sin is dash. To continue. Continue. There is, Apollyon speaking, there is no prince that will thus lightly lose his subjects. Neither will I as yet lose thee. But since thou complainest of thy service and wages, be content to go back. What our country will afford I do here promise to give thee. <clears throat> Christian's response. But I have let to myself let myself to another, even to the king of princes. And how can I with fairness go back with thee? Well, Christian makes a good response, doesn't he? Apollyon continues. Thou hast done in this according to the proverb, changed a bad for a worse. But it is ordinary for those that have professed themselves his servants after a while to give him the slip and return again to me. Do thou so too, and all shall be well. I will not lightly lose you. Those who profess to be his servants commonly turn back after a while. Think about that for a moment. Have you ever known anybody like that? Who made a profession of Christ and 
totally turned their back on that profession. Totally. Absolutely totally. <clears throat> I think probably many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us have known people in that category. I, I remember a sad story, a, a really sad story. I mean, I mean, a number of sad stories I could tell. But a really sad story that years ago, back when the college was still open, I received an email from a guy who played soccer for me at the college. Um, this guy was a very good soccer player. Matter of fact, this guy actually was a guy who really wanted to take a penalty kick if the situation for a penalty kick arose in a game. Listen, the best soccer player I ever coached, Sid Grant from Honduras, Sid did not want to take a penalty kick. He would not. But this other guy, he wanted to do it. And he was a good, a very good soccer player. Well, after his graduation and all, I lost touch with him for years and then got this email, kind of out of the blue. He was in the military and was in Germany and this email filled me in and all the details that he was refereeing soccer and his kids were playing on the base team and he was his wife was playing on a team and all this kind of stuff, all, all these things associated with soccer. And so I responded to him and told him how good it was to, uh, to hear from him once again. And I, I said, I noticed that you were telling me all about soccer and I, I must ask you the question, how are you doing spiritually? And in brief, his response was, he had actually turned his back on Christianity altogether and had apologized to his kids for any kind of Christian or spiritual influence that he had had on them earlier on. I mean, it was, it was so sad, so sad to read. Where is he now? I do not know. I do not know. But to me, it was very sad. I, I pray that God has turned his heart and brought him back to himself. But the fact of the matter is, what Satan says in talking to Christian is, again, to quote his words, but it is ordinary for those that have professed themselves his servants, that is, servants of Christ, after a while to give him the slip and return again to me, that is, to Satan. That happens. That's not imaginary writing. That happens. Uh, how did Christian respond to that? Um... Christian says, I have sworn, you're on the top of the second page, I hope. Christian says, I have sworn allegiance to him. I like his service, wages, servants, government, company, country. Christian liked everything about being attached to Christ. Well, again, the second thing in the left-hand column at the top of this page Apollyon says, his servants often come to an ill end. Many of them have been put to shameful deaths. Let's pause on that one for a moment. Does that happen? Well, yeah, it does happen. Have you ever heard of the martyrs? How many martyrs have died for Christ over the years? Only God knows that. Only God knows that. But it's not a small number. How many are suffering for Christ in various parts of the world right now? Many. Have we ever suffered for Christ? Well, I dare say we have, but ours is like a thimbleful compared to so many others. 
in the world. Well, how's Christian respond to that one? The essence of it is this. Christian says, his forbearing at present to deliver them is purposely, purposely to try their love, whether they will love him to the end. So uh, what Christian is saying here in Bunyan's words is that God allows this to put Christians to the test, a test that will reveal the genuineness of their love. Wow. And then we come to this point here. Satan says, you have already been unfaithful to him, that is unfaithful to God. And then he names five specific instances. Christian has been unfaithful to God already. Can you remember what those are? I see some of you have your book open and all that are trying to follow along here. What are these five instances? Well, the first one. Satan says, at the slough of despond, you proved your unfaithfulness. You were ready to drown in the muck. Second, attempting wrong ways to get rid of your burden. What does this have reference to? What's that? Yes. Listening to worldly wise men, and he said, go to legality, and you'll find an easier way to get to where you want to go without the trouble that you're having to go through. And that was absolutely the wrong direction. It took Christian off of the path onto a wrong way and had not he been rescued again by the evangelist, he could well have perished there. Falling asleep and losing your choice things. <laughs> what was that one? Well, when Christian was when Christian was climbing the hill, difficulty. Remember, with 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 great difficulty, started out running, and then walking, and then crawling, and coming to the arbor halfway up. An arbor which had been put there by the Lord of the way for pilgrims to rest. And he rested and uh, fell fast asleep. And without knowing it, his role, his certificate of security or authenticity, if you will, fell out of his pocket. And when he woke up, he ran up to the top of the hill and those two guys coming in the opposite direction told him, look out for the lions up ahead there. And Christian wanted to, wanted to read something that would encourage him. And he looked for his role and didn't find it and had to go back to get it. Almost turning back at the sight of the lions. When Christian did get to the top of the hill and then continued on. Remember, those two guys had told him that there were lions up ahead. And he saw the lions, and remember, it was, it was getting dark, which makes things even more fearful with regard to wild animals. And he was fearful, but the, the gatekeeper told him to come, stay on the middle of the path, and what was the other thing? The lions were chained. Yeah. And then the devil adds this one. 
In all that you say and do, you are inwardly boastful talking of your, in talking of your journey. Inwardly. Inwardly. In your heart. In your heart, whenever you talk about the journey that you're on and the things that God is doing for you, inwardly, you're boasting about it. Vain glory. Ooh. So how does Christian respond to all this? How does Christian respond? Well, I have quoted the words from the old version in a lot of places, but here I've chosen to update the language a little bit, and essentially what Christian says is, guilty as charged. And there's more, much more, but... The prince whom I serve is merciful and ready to forgive. Don't you love this? This is one of my favorite parts of the whole book. The whole book. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And you guys know as well as I do, there's certainly a lot of stuff that he can throw up against us, throw in our face to accuse us before God. I mean every one of us, all you beautifully dressed and coiffed women and all, all of you nice-looking gentlemen and all, sitting in a Sunday school class and all. Listen, we all know that there is so much that we fail the Lord in. So much. We're certainly not going to do this, but if we opened this up for participation and everybody participated in here, we'd be here a good long while. A good long while. But that is Christian's response. I am guilty of all those things and more, more, more. But God is merciful and ready to forgive. Isn't that wonderful, you guys? God is merciful and ready to forgive. Well, all of this was just a battle of words and then to take the words the kind of archaic words of the author here the dreadfulest fight that ever I saw the dreadfulest fight here's another one of the another one of the images of this from one of the other books this looks like this looks like it's just about the end doesn't it what was the duration of this fight Several hours. Several hours. Listen, um, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a fight fan, boxing fan, or MMA or any of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm just not. But how long is a round in those things? Three minutes, right? Three minutes. Three minutes seems like forever, probably, when you're trying to beat the other guy's brains out and have your own brains beat out. Yeah. Uh, back in the old days. Uh, I, I guess fights went on, back in the bare-fisted days, fights went on for a lot longer time and everything, but there's a limitation, and this went on for hours, and this is serious fighting. The wounds. The wounds. Christian was wounded. Look at the paragraph underneath of our little chart there. It lasted for half a day, 
Apollyon was with yelling and hideous roaring. Christian with sighs and groans when Christian was about to be done in. Oh, a couple more words on the chart there. The end. And, and I think this picture pictures it pretty well here. Except for one thing. As Christian is about to be done in, the sword's not in his hand. The sword has fallen from his hand. He is able to reach it again. But before he got the sword back in his hand, the devil thought, here is my opportunity, and I'm going to end this right here. Things look pretty grim right there. But God. When I was reading the book in anticipation of teaching it a few years ago, and I read in this paragraph here, it says, Then Apollyon, espying his opportunity, began to gather up close to Christian, and wrestling with him, gave him a dreadful fall. And with, a Christ, with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then said Apollyon, I am sure of thee now. And with that, he had almost pressed him to death, so that Christian began to despair of life. And Bunyan's next words are, But as God would have it, you know, that's kind of Paul's, a little bit of an expansion of Paul's but God in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God. Well, but God. And then it says, while Apollyon was fetching of his last blow, thereby to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly reached out his hand for his sword and caught it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And with that, gave him a deadly thrust, which made him give back as one that had received his mortal wound. Christian, perceiving that, made at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon's wings and sped him away that Christian saw him no more. Yeah. Christian had been given armor just as he was about to leave the palace beautiful. Was that armor, armor useful? <laughs> yes, it was, to be sure. Would Christian have survived without it? I think not. No. But we're told these things. In the battle with Apollyon, Christian had been wounded in his head and hand and foot. That's what he specifically says. He had wounds in those parts of his body. And then at this point in the story, there came a hand. It's very interesting. I, I, I can't give you any further information on this. There came a hand with leaves from the tree of life which healed him immediately. Healed of the wounds that he had received in battle. So, where do we go next? Well, his wounds having been healed, we are told that he had, he had a brief refreshment. What the nature of that was, I don't, I don't recall here. Um, but, let me see. And then he continues his journey with his sword drawn. 
with his sword in his hand and continuing the journey with his sword in his hand. And that brings us to the second of the two dark valleys, the valley of the shadow of death. And you can perceive right now, without being overly brilliant, that this is going to have to be continued next week. But we can begin to look at it. The way to the celestial city was through it. Here Christian was worse put to it than in his fight with Apollyon. Imagine that. It was dark with horrible creatures, frightening sounds, misery, discouragement, confusion, death, all of those things. <clears throat> look at your look at your notes at this point. Christian had to go through it. He had no choice. He had to go through it. It would be very interesting to see in part two of Pilgrim's Progress when Christiana and the company that are traveling with her get to this point, how they fare. The Christian has to go through it. Um, it was worse, says the author here, than the battle with Apollyon. That's fearful and frightening and almost as life-ending as that had been. The pathway through it was exceedingly narrow with a deep ditch on the right side and a dangerous quagmire on the left. It was a narrow pathway. There was danger on both sides. Christian with his, sword, with his sword drawn begins to go through there. If you look in the notes here, at the bottom of that page, I have another quote from Maureen Bradley's book, The Pilgrim's Progress Study Guide. She says, This valley of the shadow of death illustrates the times of spiritual distress that we all go through. Such times as when our worship seems hollow and dull, whereas once it was lively and full of joy. When God seems to hide his countenance and, and divine things appear obscure and almost unreal. When our religious duties become a burden rather than a delight and we become weary in the ongoing battle with sin in our hearts and despair of ever, ever conquering it. The valley becomes all the darker as believers are tempted to doubt that God is in control. Some have longer and darker times in the valley than others. Bunyan was very familiar with this valley as is made apparent in his biography. This was a most difficult time for Bunyan. I thought that was a very, very helpful paragraph by Maureen Bradley here, but I, I think we're, we're going to close the scene right here and pick up, pick up and see how Bunyan does survive going through this, this valley of the shadow of death. I think in our minds we ought to think back to the passage of scripture that I read at the very beginning of our class today. And what was the passage? It was from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's account 
of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness by Satan. What are the lessons that we can learn from that? I like one verse, and I think it's in Hebrew, where it says that Jesus was tempted at all points as we are. Is that in Hebrews? Because he went through temptations. It shows us how we can go through temptations. And it's comforting to know that he suffered. He's not a man without sin, but in the flesh he was tempted. Yes. How, how, you know, if I can dare ask the question in this way, how, how did Jesus survive in those temptations? He answered with scripture. He answered with scripture. That, that passage, or those two passages, because it's found in Matthew and in Luke, are the greatest illustrations, I think, in all of scripture of the truth that we read about in Psalm 119. Which says what? Thy word. Melanie, say it so we can all hear it. Did you hear that? <laughs> I doubt if it hurt. Thy word, I did it in my heart that I might not sin against Yeah, that, that's, that's just a wonderful example of that. You know, I have, I have been looking at the notes that I took when I went through uh, listening to the uh, lectures that Derek Thomas gave on Pilgrim's Progress. And on this particular chapter, one of the things at the end of what was tape number, uh, uh, part number seven, he talks about the resources for victory. And these are three things that he listed. First thing, to recognize the terrain. To recognize the terrain. We are in a sinful world, no question about it. But we must always be very much aware of our identity in Jesus. I am a man, I am a woman, you might say, who belongs to Christ. A second thing he mentions is to reduce the enemy's strong points to reduce the enemy's strong points. How do you do that? Well, I think one of the ways you do that is to seek to remove occasions to sin. To seek to remove occasions to sin. The kind of things that you know will kind of draw you into sin. The third thing that he mentioned was this. Very simply, putting on the whole armor of God. The gospel armor, he calls it. The Christian life is a battle. Hmm? What was the last one? It is putting on the whole armor. The gospel armor. Yeah. Luther, he quotes Luther at, at one point, I think, in connection with the first of those points. Luther doesn't live here anymore. A man in Christ lives here now. That's what Luther said. Luther, who threw a bottle of ink, supposedly at Satan in the Wartburg Castle when he thought that the devil was there. Uh, I don't know whether that's a real story or not. It's a great story. (laughs) I don't know if it's a real story. Well, are there any things that you all want to say or or any questions you have? Uh, I I just preface you're asking a question 
with the fact that I probably don't know the answer. <laughs> I mean, I may not know the answer. Maybe I, I may not know. <clears throat> All right, if your reading has taken you up to this point, as it should have, we're not breaking, we're not reading 50 pages a week. We're not. We're kind of making our way slowly through here. Continue with Christian through the whole valley of the shadow of death, and then Christian is going to meet a friend. Christian is going to meet a friend. And he's going to meet a couple other very interesting individuals, too. And we'll look at those next week. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, when we read about the armor that is described by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Lord, help us to never, ever tire of reading your Word, of meditating upon your Word, of memorizing your Word, of sharing your Word. Oh, that the Word of Christ might dwell in us richly. And Lord, you know all of our hearts here. You know where we fail you, Lord. Lots of times and lots of ways. We thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. And Father, I just pray that you bless us in the week that's ahead of us, Lord. Keep us safe. Lord, make us to be good witnesses for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>